So we finally made it. They said it couldn't be done. <laughs> you know what? They actually didn't. No, we had we didn't have a single hater. Uh. I believe there is a comment on the very first episode of this that said, "This is such a terrible idea." I'm so excited. <laughs> well, I would still call. I would say that's a non-hater idea. No, no, no. We we haven't had any haters. Uh, I do think that it, um, our follow-through here is commendable. There are there are many who would not have who would not have persisted, and yet, nevertheless, we persisted. Nevertheless, we persisted. What was that? about that was about women and politics remember the like nevertheless she wasn't that about something elizabeth Elizabeth warren Warren. i think she was like uh, (laughs) uh, doing something like some kind of like asking a uh like a a, a interviewing somebody or like yeah in in the senate like in a senate hearing and and somebody was like i have do you persist i have concluded the this line of questioning and yet nevertheless she persisted yeah it was it was one of those um like feminist things being like girls girls really are out here persisting she was being a nasty woman and she was persisting nevertheless nasty woman yes uh, anyway, but yes, this is the last episode of Infinite Cast. Well, this is the last episode where we read in the book. Yes, you're right. We should read the, the first chapter again. I would like to maybe do an episode some commentary with some commentary or some, you know, ending interpretations. Uh, a very nice fan sent us a sent me an email of congratulations and also an essay they read at the David Foster Wallace conference. Oh, I would. Th- oh, what? Yes. Oh, cool. We will. We will read that. And in fact, we will avenge you because they're um, they're <laughs> they're what, what, wait, hold on now. What are we what are we getting into? What are uh, we avenging here? They they said that they were invited to read an essay at the David Foster Wallace conference in Normal, Indiana, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, which is a very funny place to ha- uh, have it. Yeah. And they said that they were booked on a panel, uh, tragically opposite another more popular as they said quote unquote cool panel uh-huh uh and their panel ended up be the panel that they this person was on ha- ended up being three people and the moderator Oof. and he read last and the other two people left to go go to the cool <gasps> panel and so he That's read not plur. he read his uh his essay allowed to just the moderator oh god there's something delightfully yes foster wall in about that yes, this person acknowledged that in, in the email we will re- we will read there yes. uh as long as it's not something completely <laughs> completely nuts we no i will re- look through it it's i'll a, read it it's also only like three or four pages i'll read it fuck it uh so we will read your your essay on the this show uh to our audience, audience. Of, of hundreds yeah i wouldn't say ca- i guess not captive but yeah you, you know. can choose to turn it off anytime but yes uh we'll read that uh, we'll we'll do some follow ups. Um, Collins, maybe that could be kind of fun. Yes, we still have any. Yes, we still have. We had any. one guest on this entire thing, which was Matt Chrisman. Yes, we thought about having more guests, but you know what? Who cares? We're just doing it the way the the way it works for us, which is mostly you yeah. know pretty much on the couch on a Saturday or Sunday morning. Yes, yes, yes. Um, we do have an email address where maybe you can send uh, questions, final final thoughts if you if you have them. Um, I'm not going to do any editing, so don't send audio questions or anything. Yeah. Uh, that is the infinite castpod at gmail.com. I have not checked that in probably a year. A year? Jesus Christ. Did you check it sometimes? I have not checked. I don't even know the password, man. Okay. <laughs> so I'll check it. Sorry. Okay. We'll do a big check. Yes. 
I've been bad on the email. I haven't checked the and introducing email yes. in quite a minute either. So, um, but we'll, we'll check now that we're at the end. If you want to send us some questions or comments or uh, you know praise or uh, agitations there, yeah, uh, theinfinitecastpod at gmail dot com. But also, I've just been you know in the in the DMs getting some yes chat, chatter yes. as well. Exactly. Uh, and then also, you know, uh, I would say t- tell a friend, tell a friend uh, about the pod, maybe if yeah, you're it, looking for a new podcast. But also, I'm I'm going to PR the I'm going to try to PR this thing. I think it'd be kind of funny to write a press release and pitch it to some places and be it like, is now one, look at this shit that we did. It is now one complete thing. That, yeah. Uh, that exists as a and will exist forever as a uh, document of this book. Yeah. That people still seem to to fight over. Sometimes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's been a while since we've gotten a meme too. Maybe we'll try to get that. Yeah, uh, you know, by meme I mean you know like a viral infinite jest moment yes. on the internet. But the jest memes for infinite teens has also been great. Yes, um, jest memes for infinite teens. Lots of stuff to do. Yes, but first thank we got to finish the book. The, thank you to the community. Thank you to the community <laughs> of, of freaks and weirdos. That the we tennis have, and drug community. The tennis and drug community. The which Boston, spe- the Boston community. Speaking of which, the only other bit of housekeeping I have up front is that I saw via a discord i'm in there is something called the brooklyn psychedelic society which is about normalizing psychedelics they're putting on a park event which used to be called ketamine tennis and is now just called bicycle day which is apparently like (laughs) a a lawn game uh you know a picnic and lawn game and presumably psychedelics uh party that i kind of wanted to i don't think i'm going to be around for it um uh ketamine tennis would ketamine make you better at tennis maybe Depth, make, the make, depth perception could get a little funky. Uh, as as the uh, the Viagra Boys guy says, I get loose. Get loose. Yeah. All right. Let's get Shall into we? it. We got we got ten pages to 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 go once more into the breach. All right. Ten pages and two segments. Ten pages, two segments. Let's do it. Here we go. The inverted glass was the size of a cage or small jail cell, but it was still recognizably a bathroom-type tumbler, as if for gargling or post-brushing swishing, only huge and upside down, on the floor with him inside. The tumbler was like a prop or display. It was the sort of thing that would have had to be made special. Its glass was green, and its bottom over his head was pebbled, and the light inside was the watery, dancing green of extreme ocean depths. There was a kind of louvered screen or vent high on one side of the glass, but no air was coming out, in, The air inside the huge glass was pretty clearly limited as well because there was already CO2 steam on the sides. The glass was too thick to break or to kick his way out, and it felt like he might have possibly broken the leg's foot already trying. There were some uh, green and distorted faces through the glass's sides steam. The face at eye level belonged to the latest subject, the dexterous and adoring Swiss hand model. She stood looking at him, her arms crossed, smoking, exhaling greenly through her nose, then looked down to confer with another face, seeming to float at about waist level that belonged to the shy and handicapped fan who Ode realized had shared the subject's Swiss accent. The subject behind the glass would meet Oren's eyes steadily but did not acknowledge him or anything he shouted. When Oren had tried to kick his way out was when he'd recognized that the subject was looking at his eyes rather than into them as previously. There were now smeared footprints on the glass. Every few seconds... Oren wiped the steam of his breath away from the thick glass to see what the faces were doing. His foot really was hurt, 
and the remains of whatever had made him fall asleep so hard really were making him sick to his stomach, and in some, this experience was pretty clearly not one of his bad dreams, but Orin, number 71, was in deep denial about its not being a dream. It was like the minute he'd come to and found himself inside a huge inverted tumbler, he'd opted to figure, dream. The stilted, amplified voice that came periodically through the small screen or vent above him, demanding to know, where is the master buried? was surreal and bizarre and inexplicable enough to Oren to make him grateful. It was the sort of surreal, disorienting, nightmarish, incomprehensible, but vehement demand that often gets made in really bad dreams. Plus the bizarre anxiety of not being able to get the adoring subject to acknowledge anything he said through the glass. When the speaker's screen slid back, Oren looked away from the glass's faces and up, figuring that they were going to do something even more surreal and vehement that would really nail down the undeniable dream status of the whole experience. Mademoiselle Loria P., who disdained the subtler aspects of technical interviews and had lobbied simply to be given a pair of rubber gloves and two or three minutes alone with the subject's testicles, and who was really not Swiss, had predicted accurately what the subject's response would be when the speaker's screen was withdrawn and the sewer roaches began pouring blackly and shinily th- through, and as the subject splayed itself against the tumbler's glass... Sewer roaches. Oh, man. That's, a, that's a long throwback. ago callback. And pressed its face so flat against the absurd glass's side that the face changed from green to stark white and, much muffled, shrieked at them, Do it to her! Do it to her. Is that a 1984 reference? I think so. Yeah. Good call. Luria P. inclined her head and rolled her eyes at the AFR leader, whom she had long regarded as something of a ham. <laughs> That's it. That's that whole segment? Mm-hmm. They've do, do, unto, do unto roaches what you would have roaches done yeah. to you. Uh, we can talk about that at the end, though. Okay, great. Human beings came and went. An RN felt his forehead and yanked her hand back with a yelp. Somebody down the hall was jabbering and weeping. At one point, Chandler F., the recently graduated nonstick cookware salesman, seemed to be there in the classic resident confitior position, his chin on his hands on the bedside crib railing. The room's light was a glowing gray. The Ennett House house manager was there, fingering the place her missing eyebrow had been, trying to explain something about how Pat M. hadn't come because she and Mr. M. had to ki- kick Pat's little girl out of the house for using something synthetic again and was in too sh- a sh- too shaky place spiritually to even leave home. Gately felt physically hotter than he'd ever felt. It felt like a sun in his head. The crib-type railings got tapered on top and writhed a little like flames. He imagined himself on the house's aluminum platter with an apple in his mouth, his skin glazed and crispy. <laughs> the MD that looked age 12 appeared with others, wreathed in mist, and said, up it to 30Q2 and let's try Doris, which takes us to end note 385, probably meaning Dorix, Park Davis's doxycycline highclate, the cruise missile of gram-negative antibiotics. <laughs> Back to the text. That the poor son of a bitch was burning down. He wasn't talking to Gately. The MD was not addressing Don Gately. Gately's only conscious concern was asking for help to refuse Demerol. He kept trying to say addict. He remembered being young on the playground and telling Maura Duffy to look down her shirt and spell attic. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody else said ice bath. Gately felt something rough and cool on his face. 
A voice that sounded like his own brain voice with an echo said to never try and pull a weight that exceeds you. Mm-hmm. Gately figured he might die. It wasn't calm and peaceful like alleged. It was more like trying to pull something heavier than you. He heard the late Gene Fackelman saying to get a load of this. He was the object of much bedside industry. A brisk clink of IV bottles overhead, slosh of bags, none of the overhead voices talking to him, his input unrequired. Part of him hoped they were putting Demerol in his IV without him knowing. He gurgled in mood, saying addict, which was the truth that he was, he knew. The crocodile that liked to wear Hanes, Lenny, then that at the podium liked to say the truth will set you free, but not until it's done with you. <laughs> the voice down the hall was weeping like its heart would break. He imagined the ADA with his hat off, earnestly praying Gately would live so he could send him to NDC Walpole. The harsh sound he heard up close was the tape around his unshaved mouth getting ripped off him so quickly he hardly felt it. He tried to avoid projecting how his shoulder would feel if they started pounding on his chest like they pound on dying people's chests. The intercom calmly dinged. He heard conversing people in the hall passing the open door and stopping for a second to look in, but still conversing. It occurred to him if he died, everybody would still exist and go home and eat and ex their wife and go to sleep. A conversing voice at the, at the door uh, laughed and told somebody else it was getting harder these days to tell the homosexuals from the people who beat up homosexuals. <laughs> Lord, uh, it was impossible to imagine a world without himself in it. He remembered two of his Beverly High teammates beating up a so-called homosexual kid while Gately walked away, wanting no part of either side, disgusted by both sides of the conflict. He imagined having to become a homosexual in Walpole. He imagined going to one meeting a week and having a shepherd's crook and parrot and playing cribbage for a cigarette a point and lying on his side in his bunk in his cell facing the wall, jacking off to the memory of tits. He saw the ADA with his head bowed and his hat against his chest. Uh, the parrot, I think, is literally referencing the fact that he thinks he's going to have to lose lose his um, arm and have a hook for a hand yes. and become a pirate. <laughs> he's imagining his pirate jail self. Somebody overhead asked if somebody else if they were ready, and somebody commented on the size of Gately's head and gripped Gately's head, and then he felt an upward movement deep inside that was so personal and horrible, he woke up. Only one of his eyes would open because the floor's impact had shut the other one up plump and tight as a sausage. His whole front side of him was cold from lying on the wet floor. Fackelman around somewhere behind him was mumbling something that consisted totally of G's. His open eye could see the luxury apartment window. It was dawn outside, a glowing gray, and birds had plenty to say out in the bare trees, and at the big window was a face and a windmill of arms. Gately tried to adjust the vertical hold on his vision. <laughs> Pamela Hoffman Jeep was at the window. Their apartment was on the second floor of the luxury complex. She was up in a tree right outside the window, standing on a branch, looking in, either gesturing wildly or trying to keep her balance. Gately felt a rush of concern <laughs> about her falling out of the tree and was preparing to ask the floor to maybe please relax its hold a second and let him go when PHJ's face suddenly fell and exited the bottom of the window and was replaced by the face of Bobby C. C. Bo- Bobby C. C. Bobby, <laughs> Bobby, C. Bobby C. raised a slow two-finger salute to his temple in an impassively mocking hello as he scanned the evidence of serious binging in the room through the window. Eyeballing Mount Dilaudid with special attention, nodding down to somebody down under the tree. He edged forward on the branch until he was right up flush with the window. Uh and pushed up on its frame with one hand, trying to open the locked window. 
The rising sun behind him cast a shadow of his head against the wet floor. Gately called out to Fackelman and tried to roll and sit up. His bones felt full of busted glass. Bobby C. held up a six-pack of Heffenreffer and waggled it suggestively, like wanting in. Gately had just managed to sit partly up when C.'s fist in its fingerless glove came through the window, spraying double-pane glass. The fallen TP screen continued to show, show shots of small flames Gately could see. C's arm came through and groped for the latch and raised the window. Fackelman was bleeding like a sheep, but not moving. A syringe he hadn't bothered with removing hung from the inside of his elbow. Gately saw Bobby C had glass in his purple hair and a vintage Taurus PT 9mm jammed into his spike-studded belt. Gately sat there dumbly as C clambered on in and kind of tiptoed through the various puddles and rolled Fackelman's head back to check his pupils. C clucked his tongue and let Fackelman's head fall back against the wall, Fax still softly bleeding. He turned smartly on his boots heel and started across the apart- toward the apartment door, and Gately sat there looking at him. When he got to where Gately was sitting on the floor with his wet legs curved parenthesized out in front of him like some sort of huge pre-verbal rug rat, C stopped as if to say something he'd just remembered, looking down at Gately, his smile wide and warm, and Gately noticed he had a black front tooth just as C caught him over the ear with the Taurus PT and put him back down. The floor got the back of Gately's head worse than the gun butt did. His ears belled. It wasn't stars he saw. Then Bobby C. kicked Gately in the balls, SOP to keep your man down, and Gately drew his knees up and turned his head and was sick out onto the floor. He heard the apartment door opening and the leisurely sound of C.'s boots going down the stairs to the complex's door. Between spasms, Gately urged Fackleman to go for the window as ricky-tick as he could. Fackleman was slumped back against the wall. He was looking at his legs and saying he couldn't feel his legs, that he was numb from the scalp on down and climbing. C returned shortly at the head, and at the head of a whole entourage-type group of people Gately didn't like the looks of at all. There were Demonts and Poingrave, uh, Canadian Harvard Square small-time thug types Gately knew slightly, small-time freelancers, too Canadianly dumb for anything but the brutalist work. <laughs> Gately was unglad to see them. They wore overalls and non-matching flannel shirts. <laughs> the poor, eczematic pharmacist assistant guy was behind them, carrying a black doctor bag. Gately was on his back, pedaling his legs in the air, which is what anybody that's played organized ball knows is what you do for a Brody to the groin. <laughs> do you, are, you fam- are you familiar with that? Oh. You have to pedal your legs in the air? Is, is that what you do to, to, to relieve, ease a, to relieve a, a kicked nutsack? I'm not familiar with that. Word to the wise. All right. Well, I'll, I'll take it into consideration. I don't know the last time I suffered nut trauma. Got a, got a kick to the gentles? Uh, not nut ki- trauma. Uh, a, a kick. It's been a long, long time. Accidental nut trauma. Uh, I think I, I mentioned for some reason I mentioned this recently. the The worst I've had a recent recently is accidentally walking into a doorknob. Oh wait, when was that? Did I know you? Yeah. What? But the, I, I, it wasn't bad bad enough to when like alert this? you about it. <laughs> you don't alert me about your injuries. Bad, no. which is terrible form. <laughs> Look, it hurt, but I wasn't injured. I'm, meanwhile, I whine if I do yeah. anything to myself. It's not like I needed to post an update about it. I wasn't incapacitated. I just wha- whacked my my uh, whacked my my dingus nuts in a in a ill ill heighted doorknob. And then you would have told me, and then I could have been like, oh, well, I could have felt uh, bad whatever. for you. It's fine. 
Uh, Sorry. The, the, var- the various ailments of the tall. Yeah. Uh, the pharmacist's assistant stopped behind C and stood there looking at his own Weejuns. Is that boat boat shoes? Bass Weejuns? Bass Weejuns? Weejuns? I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. Three big, unfamiliar girls entered in red leather coats and badly laddered hose. Uh, then poor old Pamela Hoffman Jeep, her taffeta storn, torn and stained, and her face gray with shock, got borne in through the door by two oriental punks in shiny leather jackets. They had their hands under her ass and carried her as if seated, one leg out and a white stick of bone protruding from her shin, oh. which her shin was a serious mess. Gately saw all of this upside down, pedaling his legs until he could get up. One of the big girls carried an old-type graphics bong and a glad cinch-sack kitchen can bag. Either Poingrave or Demont, Gately could never remember which of them was who, carried a case of bonded liquor. C asked generally if it was party time. Party time is capitalized. <laughs> the room brightened as the sun climbed. The room was filling up. Another of the girls made negative comments about the urine on the floor. Falcoman in the corner began saying, it was all a goddamn lie. <laughs> C pretended to answer himself in a falsetto and said, Yes, indeedy, weedy, it was party time. <laughs> now a very bland, groomed, college-ish guy in a Wembley tie entered with a, a Taytung uh, corp box and put it down by where the pharmacist's assistant was still standing. And the bland guy rehung the teleplayer on the wall and ejected the TP's small flame cartridge, dropping it on the wet floor. The two oriental tufts carried Pamela Hoffman Jeep over to a far corner of the living room, and she screamed when they dropped her onto a box of counterfeit little Commonwealth of Massachusetts peel-off seals. They were small, the Orientals, and they were looking down at him, but neither had bad skin. A small, grim woman with a tight gray bun and sensible shoes entered last and shut the apartment door behind her. Gately rolled slowly to his knees and stood up, still bent a bit at the waist, not moving, one eye still swollen shut. He could hear Fackelman trying to stand. PhD stopped shrieking and blacked out and slumped down until her chin was on her chest and her ass half off the box. The room smelled like Dilaudid and urine and Gately's vomit and Fackelman's bowel movement and the red leather girl's fine leather coats. C came on over and reached up and put his arm around Gately's shoulders and stood with him like that while two of the tough girls in their coats passed around bottles of bourbon from the case. Gately could focus best when he squinted. The AM sun hung in the window, up and past the tree, yellowing. The bottles were the black-labeled boxy bottles that signified Jack Daniels. A church bell off in the square struck seven or eight. Gately had had a bad experience with Jack Daniels at age 14. The bland, groomed corporate guy had inserted a different TP cartridge and now was getting a portable CD player out of the Taytong box while the pharmacist assistant watched him. Poingrave, or Demont, took the bottle C had taken from the tough girls and handed to Gately. The sunlight on the floor through the window was spidered with shadows of branches. My man loves his fucking shadows. <laughs> Sorry, he, he won't stop. Everybody in the room's shadows were moving around on the west wall. C also held a bottle. Soon, just about everybody had their own individual bottle of Jack. <laughs> Gately heard Fackelman asking somebody to open his for him. He was numb to the ceiling and climbing, and he couldn't feel his hands. The small, grim, librarianish woman went to Fackelman, removing her purse from her shoulder. Gately was figuring out what he was going to say on the Faxter's behalf when Whitey Sorkin arrived. Until then, he figured it was C's party and just not to unnecessarily rile C. It seemed to take a long time to formulate mental thoughts. Pamela Hoffman Jeep's shin looked like ground chuck. 
C lifted his square bottle and asked for general permission to like propose a toast. <laughs> PHJ's lips were blue with shock. Gately felt bad that he felt so little romantic concern now that she'd fallen out of the tree. He spent no time wondering if she'd ratted them out, if she'd brought Bobby C to them, or vice versa. At least one of the girls in the red leather coats had an awful big Adam's apple for a girl. C roughly turned Gately's shoulders toward Fackelman in the corner and toasted to old friends and new friends and what looked like a serious fucking A score for Gene Gene the fax machine, given the size of this delauded pile and all the evidence of some serious fucking partying they could see and smell. Everyone drank from their bottle. The grim-faced little woman had to help Fackelman find his mouth with the mouth of his bottle. All three of the big women displayed Adam's apples when they tilted way back to chug. The polite swallow of Jack almost made Gately heave. C's item in his belt pressed against Gately's thigh, and so did some of the belt's spikes. Damon and Poingrave both had S&W items uh, in shoulder holsters. The Oriental punks didn't display any arms, but had a look about them like they didn't ever even shower unarmed. Safe bet they had at least little weird, sharp, chinky things you threw at people, Gately figured. <laughs> Throwing stars? Yeah, not very nice. Several of C's group. I, f- I feel like my response to the the worst slurs is just to be like, "That's not nice of him to say." No, it's very racist. Um, several of C's group I mean, chugged. The- he he is writing a Boston tough in the early nineties, so it is probably accurate to uh to yeah. uh his internal. Just mod- imagine monologue. the departed, you know. But just yeah, just imagine how um um uh, um oh, what's his name uh Mister Mr. Boston. What the, the actor? Uh, oh, Mark Mark Wahlberg. Wahlberg. Just imagine. imagine <laughs> just call him Mister Boston. Boston. Hey, I'm Mister Boston. I'm from. Uh, that's a terrible Wahlberg, but yeah. Um, say, imagine, say how do you mother for me? All right. Say how do you mother for me? Just imagine uh, uh, Mark Wahlberg's internal monologue circa 1993. That didn't that man like seriously beat? Yeah, he some, blinded like, blinded he blinded a, Vietnam- a Vietnamese guy. Yes, in what in in a street altercation that could be called a hate crime. So yeah, David Foster Wallace is not not writing this out of out of nowhere. Yes. Let's just say that, even though it's unfortunate. The, the evidence backs him up. Several of C's group chugged their whole bottle. Oh. One of the big girls hurled her bottle at the west wall, but it didn't break. Why is it you feel it in your gut and not your nuts per se when you get brodied? Gately was turning and looking wherever C's arm was turning him. The contorted face on the rehung viewer from the corporate guy's car- tra- cartridge was Whitey Sorkin's. A portrait Sorkin had let some neuralgic painter do of him having a cluster headache out at the National Craniofacial Pain Foundation in the city for a series for an ad for aspirin. The cartridge seemed just like a continuous still of the painting so that it looked like Sorkin on the wall was sort of presiding over the gathering in a mute, pained way. Big the, brother. Yeah. The li- yeah. The librarianish little woman was threading a sewing needle with thread, her mouth real tight. The pharmacist's assistant was getting little skin flakes all over the black bag as he hunkered down over the bag, removing several syringes from the bag and filling them out of a 2500 IU ampule and handing them up to be passed around. The NCPFP uh, painting had a red fist pulling a handful of brain out the top of Sorkin's skull while Sorkin's face looked out of the viewer with the classic migraine sufferer's look of super intense thought, almost more meditative than hurt looking. One oriental kid was squatting chinkishly in the corner, drinking Jack, and the other was sweeping up spilled laminates off the floor, using a flap from the Taytong box for a dustpan. Chinks could... Chinks could do some serious sweeping, Gately reflected. Another of the girls threw her bottle at the wall. 
It was when C didn't even have Gately facing them that it dawned on Gately the girls in coats and slatternly hose were fags dressed up as girls, like as in transvestals. <laughs> transvestals. Bobby C was beaming. The first re- bit of real personal ass fear Gately felt was when he realized these people looked like mostly members of Bobby C's personal set, that they weren't the people Sorkin would dispatch if he was sending his own people and coming himself soon, that Sorkin's painting on the wall was symbolic of Sorkin wasn't coming, that Sorkin had given Bobby C free reign, uh, rain spelled like the weather, uh, on this piece, <laughs> piece of painful business. The pharmacist's assistant removed two pre-filled syringes from the bag, unwrapping their crinkly plastic. C told Gately quietly how Whitey said to say he knew Donnie wasn't part of Fackelman's score to fuck Sorkin in an 80s bill, that he didn't need to do anything except kick back and enjoy the party and let Fackelman face his own music, and to not let any, like, 19th century notions of defending the weak and pathetic drag Gately into this. C said he was sorry about the bit of beating. He had to make sure Gately didn't try and get Fackelman out the window while he was down unlocking the door. That he hoped Gately wouldn't hold it against him because he wished him no particular ill and wanted no beef later. <laughs> this was all said very quietly and intensively while the two fags and wigs that had tried to break bottles were sitting on a box filling the graphics's huge party bowl with grass from the glad bag, which contained grass. Damont sat in a director's chair. Everybody else was drinking out of their square bottle, standing around the sunny room in the awkward postures of way more people than seats. Their arms were pale and hairless. The two oriental tufts were tying each other off. The draft through the fist hole in the window made Gately shiver. The other fag was making, like, comments about Gately's physique. Gately asked C quietly if he and Fackelman couldn't get cleaned up real quick and they could all go see Sorkin together and Whitey and Jean could reason together and work out an accord. Falcoman found his voice and asked loudly if anybody wanted to hike on over here to Mount Dilaudid and get fucking fucked up. <laughs> Gately winced. Bobby C. smiled at Fackleman and said it looked like Fax had about enough. But at the same time, the psoriatic assistant came up to Falcoman and checked his pupils with a pen light and then shot him up with a prefilled using an artery in his neck. The back of Fackleman's head hit the wall several times his face flushing violently in the standard clinical reaction to Narcan, which takes Ah. us to end note 386. Naloxone hydrochloride, the exocet missile of narcotic antagonists, DuPont Farm, two milliliters slash 20 milliliter saline prefilled syringes. Hey, if it was uh, nowadays, you could Narcan him with uh, the the little nasal spray. Yeah, the nasal spray. You don't have to shoot him uh, with Narcan in an artery. Very early literary reference to something that would only become more and more relevant. Yeah, kind of crazy. Again, uh, a a prescient book in in ways that I think even Wallace would not imagine. You know what's crazy? Of all the things in this book that that you were like, (laughs) you know, hey, buddy, what do you think 27 years later is going to be something that almost everybody knows off the top of their head? Do you think it would be Narcan? Narcan, yeah. That's great. I mean, I'm just thinking like I read this book in 20, I think 2009, 2000, late, late 2008, early 2009. And uh, yeah, the, the fact that I would possess Narcan. Yes. That's crazy. Wow. Damn. All right. The pharmacist then came C and Gately's way. The portable CD player started in with poor old Linda McCartney as C held Gately and the assistant pharmacist tied him off with an MD's rubber strap. Gately stood there, slightly hunched. Fackelman was making sounds like a long, submerged man coming up for air. C told Gately to fasten his seatbelt. 
Urine had turned part of the apartment's luxury hardwood floors finish soft and white like soap scum. The CD playing was one seed played all the fucking time in the car when Gately had been with him in a car. Somebody had taken an old disc of McCartney and the Wings, as in the historical Beatles McCartney, taken it and run it through a Kurzweil remixer and removed every track on the songs except the tracks of poor old Mrs. Linda McCartney singing back up and playing tambourine. When the fags called the grass Bob, it was confusing because they also called Sea Bob. Poor old, that's funny, poor old Mrs. Linda McCartney just fucking could not sing, and having her shaky, off-key little voice flushed from the cover of the whole slick, multi-track corporate sound and pumped up to solo was to Gately unspeakably depressing, her voice sounding so lost, trying to hide and bury itself inside the pro-backup's voices. Gately imagined Mrs. Linda McCartney in his staff's room's walls, picture a kind of craggy-faced blonde. Imagine her standing there, lost in the sea of her husband's pro-noise, feeling low self-esteem and whispering off-key, not knowing quite when to shake her tambourine. C's depressing CD was past cruel. It was somehow sadistic-seeming, like drilling a peephole in the wall of a handicapped bathroom. Dude! (laughs) What the fuck? Two of the transvestals were doing the swim to the awful tape in the swept center of the floor. The other had one of Fackelman's arms, while the bland guy in the Wembley tie gripped Fackelman's other arm and was slapping Fackelman lightly as the Delauded fought the Narcan. They had seated Fackelman in his corner in Gately's special Demerol chair. Gately's balls throbbed with his pulse. The pharmacist's assistant's face was right up in Gately's. His cheeks and chin were a mess of silvery, scaly flakes, and an oily sweat on his forehead caught the window's sunlight as he gave Gately a tight smile. Uh, I'm pretty much straight already, C-Man, after that nut shot, Gately said, (laughs) if you don't want to waste the Narcan. Oh, this isn't no Narcan, C said softly, holding Gately's arm. Hadley, said the assistant, (laughs) uncapping the syringe. C said, hold on to your hat. He poked the assistant's shoulder. Tell him. It's farm-grade sunshine, which takes us to end note 387. Metro Boston's third hardest thing to street cop after raw Vietnamese opium and the incredibly potent DMZ, sunshine is pentazosine hydrochloride and methanamic acid. Sanofi Winthrop Canada Incorporated with trade name Tallwind PX, Dayglow Yellow Serum, 7 milliliter slash 20 milliliter saline saline field pre-syringes. And then there's a subnote. A non-NARC analgesic marketed in the U.S. as Pondstel, Park Davis, mostly, <clears throat> oddly enough, for dysmenorrhea, sort of like nuclear-grade Lidol. Sorry, my voice is going. <clears throat> Do you want some water? No. I'm back. Uh, back to the text. The assistant said, tapping for a good vein. Hold on to your heart, <laughs> he said, watching the needle go in. The pharmacist slid it in expertly, horizontal and flush to the skin. Gately had never done sunshine, next to ungettable outside a Canadian hospital. He watched his own blood ruddle the serum as the pharmacist extended his thumb to ease the plunger back. The pharmacist's assistant could really boot. C's tongue was in the corner of his mouth as he watched. The corporate guy had Fackelman's arms held tight, and a transvestal who'd gotten in behind the chair held his head by the chin and hair as the gray lady knelt before him with her threaded needle. Gately couldn't help keep himself from watching the stuff go in him. There was no pain. He wondered for a second if it was a hot shot. It seemed like a whole lot of trouble just to go. Uh, it seemed like a whole lot of trouble to go to just to get him off. The pharmacist's thumbnail was ingrown. There were a couple eczema flakes on Gately's arm where the guy was inclined over it. You get to like the sight of your own blood after a while. 
The pharmacist had him half booted when Fackelman <clears throat> started screaming. The scream's pitch got higher as it drew out. When Gately could look away from the stuff going in, he saw the librarian-type lady was sewing Fackelman's eyelids open to the skin above his eyebrows. Oh, God. As in, they were sewing poor old Count Faxula's eyes open. A kid on the playground had used to turn his lids inside out at girls like they were doing now to the poor old Faxter. Gately gave a reflexive jerk toward him, and C hugged him tight with one arm. Easy, C said very softly. The taste of the hydrochloride in the sunshine was the same delicious, the same. Uh, the taste of the smell of every doctor's office everywhere. He'd never done Tallwin PX. Impossible to get scripts for the PX, a Canadian blend. U.S. Tallwins, which is, takes us to the last end note of the book, uh, end wow. note 388. Tallwin NX, Sanofi Winthrop, U.S. Back to the text. <laughs> Very unceremonial. It. Very unceremonial. Uh uh, U.S. Tallwinds got 0.5 milligrams of nal- uh, naloxone mixed in to cut the buzz is why Gately only did NX on top of Bam Bams. He understood they'd give Fackelman the anti-narc so he'd feel the needle as they sewed his eyes open. Cruel is spelled with a U, he, remember, he remembered. The two Orientals left the room at C's direction. Linda McSee sounded borderline psychotic. The little gray lady worked fast. The eye that was already sewed open bulged obscenely. Everybody in the room except C and the corporate guy and grim lady started shooting dope. Two of the fags had their eyes shut and their faces at the ceiling as if they couldn't take watching what they were doing to their arm. The pharmacist was tying off the passed out Pamela Hoffman Jeep, which seemed like insult plus injury. There was every different style and skill level of injection and boot going on. Falcoman's face was still a scream face. The corporate tool type was dropping fluid from a pipette into Fackelman's sewed open eye while the lady re-threaded the needle. It was just seeming to Gately. He'd seen the fluid and eye thing in a cartridge or movie the MP'd liked when he was a bim playing ball on the chintz in the sea when the sunshine crossed the barrier and came on. You could see why the U.S. made them cut the buzz. The air in the room got over clear, a glycerin shine, colors brightening terribly. If colors themselves could catch fire. The word on the C2 Tallwin PX was it was intense but short-acting and pricey. No word on its interaction with massive residual amounts of IV Dilaudid. Gately tried to figure while he still could. If they were going to eliminate his map with an OD, they'd have used something cheap. And if the librarian was going to sew his eyes open, Gately was trying to think. Two, they wouldn't have got him. Him got him off. The very air of the room bulged. It ballooned. Falcomen's screams about lies rose and fell, hard to hear against the arterial roar of the sun. McSee was trying to muffle a cough. Gately couldn't feel his legs. He could feel C's arm around him taking more and more of his weight. C's arms' muscles rising and hardening. He could feel this. His legs were, like, opting out. Attack of floors and sidewalks. Kite used to sing a ditty called 32 Uses for Sterno, me lad. C was starting to let him down easy. Strong, squat, hard kid. Most heroin men you can knock down with a boo. C, there was a gentleness about C for a kid with the eyes of a lizard. He was letting him down real easy. C was going to protect Bimmy Dawn from the bad floor's assault. The supported swoon spun Gately around, C moving around him like a dancer to slow the fall. Gately got a rotary view of the whole room in almost untakeable focus. Poingrave was vomiting chunkily. Two of the fags were sliding down the wall they had their backs to. Their red coats were aflame. The passing window exploded with light. 
or else it was Demont's that was vomiting and Poingrave was taking the TP's viewer off the wall and stretching its fibroid wire over toward Fackelman against the wall. One of Fax's eyes was as open as his mouth, disclosing way more eye than you ever want to see on somebody. He was no longer struggling. Uh, he stared piratically straight ahead. The librarian was starting on his other eye. The bland man had a rose in his lapel, and he'd put on glasses with metal lenses and was blind high and missing Fax's eye with the dropper half the time, saying something to Poingrave. A transvestal had PHJ's torn hem hiked up and a spiderish hand on her flesh-colored thigh. PHJ's face was gray and blue. The floor came up slowly. Bobby C.'s squat face looked almost pretty, tragic, half-lit by the window, tucked up under Gately's spinning shoulder. Gately felt less high than disembodied. It was obscenely pleasant. His head left his shoulders. Jean and Linda were both screaming. The cartridge with the held open eyes and dropper had been the one about ultraviolence and sadism, a favorite of Kite. Gately thinks sadism is pronounced sadism. The last rotating sight was the chinks coming back through the door, holding big, shiny squares of the room. As the floor wafted up and C's grip finally gave, the last thing Gately saw was an oriental bearing down with a held square, and he looked into the square and saw clearly a reflection of his own big square pale head with its eyes closing as the floor finally pounced. And when he came back to, he was flat on his back on the beach in the freezing sand, and it was raining out of a low sky, and the tide was way out. The end. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> boy. Wow. Hold on, wait. Wait, uh, the sound of the book that's the sound of the book closing uh i don't know what to say what is there to say all right bye guys no just kidding yes <laughs> i wonder i wonder if we did just hang up i mean uh yeah we could talk about that segment but it's like i, I don't know I, feel, I don't know where to go from here yeah i mean it's it's his bottom right yeah. like that's his it's that's his rock bottom that he came to when he was is like dying in the hospital yeah both times he's like a baby yes a huge baby uh yes there's something in that end that i didn't notice the first two times i read it which was that the guy's taking the tp off the wall and bringing it over to Fackelman. yeah they're so i i i think that that's a commentary on like as he's dying he's going to be forced to watch the face of yeah he's gonna watch yeah um, sewing his eyes open and forcing him to watch a static image, image of, of Whitey. Of Whitey yeah. And also, they were putting something in his eye with a dropper. Do you think I that was just DM? Moisture, moisturizer. Oh, to keep to like, keep it yeah, to keep his eyes like, like, like Clockwork Orange. Okay, so I've I've never seen that. Oh, I don't know whether they were orange? putting like liquid DMZ in his eye to make him like truly freak out uh, at the end of his life. I mean, maybe who knows? But I, I assume it's just like Clockwork Orange, where they're just like uh, you know putting like liquid tears in so his eyes. So he can still see. Yeah. Um. Horrifying. And then. And uh, Orin Orin has been captured by the Canadians. Put in a giant tumbler. Put in a giant tumbler. Filling, it with, filling it with roaches, which he hates. Uh, he's screaming, "Do it to her!" Which makes me think that they have someone else. Oh, uh, probably. Uh, what's her name? Julie. Jo- Joelle. Joelle. Yeah, I guess uh, putting it together, the last scene that we saw of Joelle was that she went go- she went back to Ennett House, yes. right? And there was like a cop car waiting for her, but maybe it wasn't. Yeah, it w- maybe it wasn't a cop. I actually don't. I don't know that uh, for sure. But regardless, the Canadians are are still yeah. on the hunt. 
for this entertainment. And all we know is that there is a scene at some point in the future in which where Gately, Gately and Hal are digging up himself's head where the master is supposedly buried. Yes. And so what what it sounds like we need is infinite just two. Infinite just two, the jestening. Yeah, the jestening. Uh, hey, I mean that you you say that as a a, a a a Josh, but think of how many versions of infinite jest are in the filmography. It's true. The repetition. Some enterprising uh, grad student should write infinite jest too, just to see what it's like. Just to see how it feels. And then we have we don't know you know how. Uh, well, we do know what happens to Hal is that he's starting to feel a bit weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe he re- remember. Well, we'll get to this when we read the first chapter again. Yes. But he uh, goes to the hospital. He's going he's being sent to the hospital because he's at Arizona State or mm-hmm. University of Arizona having like a freak out because he's yep. speaking and nobody can. No one. No, people think he's having a fit. Yep. He's like the last time I was in the hospital was a year ago. Which suggests that very soon after we leave Hal, he, will he be goes to the hospital. Yes. Um, <laughs> and the only thing I'm pulling this from the Aaron Swartz. Uh, oh yeah, we got to read the Aaron Swartz thing. Or, is or, or that that might it. be where Joel sees Hal, mm-hmm. and that's where maybe Joel, Hal, and um, what call it, uh, Don get together. Okay, because Joel is the connection between them. Yes. She dated his brother, and she's now in a resident of Don's. Um, have you house. read yourself any significant analysis, third-party analysis of this book? Honestly, ju- just the urgency. just the and random bits. Like I've read, I've poked around. I started poking around the subreddit, um, the Infinite Jest subreddit. Uh, mm-hmm. Once we started this long ago, um, and then not not too much though, honestly. So most of most of your conclusions from this you've drawn from y- yourself. Yeah. This is your third read yeah. of it. Yeah, but there's plenty that's up to interpretation. Yeah, think of how much is left unsaid. Yes. Uh. Wow. All right. Well, f- final final star rating. Uh, <laughs> star rating. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Good book. Do you feel satisfied by the ending? I mean, not really, but I don't think it's meant to be a satisfying ending. Yeah. I mean, the end, like, it's not really about the ending, is it? It's about the uh, the journey there, and I think that this has been a satisfying journey. I mean, there's obviously so much. There's so many compelling little images and vignettes, and, and you know, it is uh, operatic in the, it's the scope and breadth of its mm-hmm. observations. Uh, you know, yeah. What's your favorite part? Favorite part? Yeah. I mean, it's funny what what became what started as a a slog that I found really annoying. The filmography is now kind of weirdly my favorite because it kind of ties everything together. Yeah. That it it's gives like you this. So many clues. It's like well, I mean, we were thinking like why why are we all here? And it's because of himself. Yes. I don't know. There's I mean, God, the just putting it all together. We've got Don in the hospital. He's being visited by the wraiths. The hero of inaction. The hero of inaction. Both in the hospital and clearly being transported to another time when he was an anti-hero of uh, the villain of inaction that he was in this room with all these people and he both couldn't and wouldn't do anything about it. But 
you know what he could have if he wasn't high yes <laughs> that it ultimately i mean there's something it's funny the football versus tennis <laughs> thing that kind of comes up in this yeah. as tennis as this kind of like intellectual anxiety game for young people mm-hmm. and football as this like outlet of brutality that like yeah. saves you from a more brutal life like if you're a huge fucking guy built for violence Mm-hmm. The best thing you can do is get it all out on the gridiron because otherwise, uh, you 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 know you end up you as Dawn. Yeah, you yeah. end up you know enforcing being for a thug. yeah being a thug. And you have Orin who transverse those two worlds of like being a okay but not amazing tennis player to a really good punter. I don't know. There's there's something in there that I need to to parse. That I don't think uh, DFW is being disrespectful to uh, football. But it's like the I don't know the the American interest in in football versus tennis, <laughs> which I would say is I mean tennis is elite. It's super a natural a national yeah. What, would you would you say that that's true that tennis is kind of like the intellectual sport and the rich fancy sport and football is like the people's sport? Yes, I mean you when you see the people who uh, they cut to in these tennis matches that we've been watching, it's it's always like Anna Wintour. It's very she's it's not very New Yorker style people. Has Anna Wintour ever been to the Super Bowl, actually? No. I don't well, think I don't it, think she And like it's it. true that tennis is a very international sport, whereas football is a very national sport. Though, disgustingly, it seems like NFL football is becoming more and more popular internationally. Yeah. Which To which I go, no, 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 no stop it. <laughs> Dude, don't touch it. Yeah. It's like a drug. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, also, just uh, continuing to chew on this ending, that Don... It, it it could be possible that this is the first time that Don is like re-remembering that mm-hmm. bottom because he has been, he's he's almost at the, like he's being scraped totally raw by this, you experience, know, yeah. experience where he's in the hospital and he's refusing the thing that will make him, you know, yeah. numb, right? Yes, that is the ultimate test and it kind of reminds him of his ultimate bottom. Yeah, and that, that I think is the hardest thing for people to do because i don't know i'll i'll tie it into the news of the day or the uh you know pop culture of the day which is there's like a bustle article that came out about using what is like when people use therapy speak um to end friendships or to maybe mistreat you under the guise of being like i'm setting a boundary or i'm you know i don't have the capacity to deal with this and I just, I'm thinking about... I'm, I'm setting a boundary around myself where I never have to engage in anything that is even momentarily unpleasant. Yeah, like, it, that there is... I, I don't want to couch this in the in the vein of, like, uh, everyone is too soft and, you know, uh, everyone should toughen up. That's not what it's about. Yes. But that in in trying to center trauma as part of, like, the way that you go about your everyday, mm-hmm. what you end up doing is avoiding trauma and therefore having it kind of calcify within you yes and then you end up projecting and recreating these things that you're supposedly trying to get away from i think david foster wallace is like basically saying you ha- you need to not not with the intervention of like drugs or any other kind of entertainment things that create that same feeling of numbness and pleasantness yes you need to look at your life and what has happened to you and what you have done to people and see it honestly and then just pray, I guess. Yes. Hmm. I keep thinking about the fact that he went, he, when he wrote that 9-11 essay, 
He had a church. He was going to church. He was going to church? Yeah. I, I, I think, I hope I'm not speaking out of my ass there. I think he was referring to some of the people in his community in Illinois as his as fellow churchgoers. Interesting. I don't know. I personally thought thought more about <laughs> I've thought more about God in the past couple of years than I have in quite some time, thanks to this book. Which uh, is not the Bible, but it's Bible sized. <laughs> big big ass book. Um, and not the big book of AA either. Not the big book either. Which is not that big. Mm-hmm. I don't know what, how many pages the Are AA there book any is. positive pleasures depicted in this book? Um, love. Of whom? Um, I keep thinking of the um the the people that Joel encountered um in a meeting. I think it was a meeting where uh the guy who was basically just suicidally depressed, mm-hmm. like uh he had nothing to live for, and he's just constantly wa- like wanting to die. Um, oh no, is Kate Gomper in the psych ward? Mm-hmm. One of her fellow psych ward people is basically fighting just a, the blackest possible despair, but he was married and in love and it was like the only thing that like kept him going. Yes, I remember that. Um, and then Mar- like Mario, in, in yes. interacting with the world with no... Um, when he gets shook, with no assi- the guy's hand. Yeah, interacting with the world, not thinking that the world is out to like hurt you, even mm. if some people do, a lot of people do. Yes. Um, and make fun of him for his, you know, disabilities or what he looks like or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you gotta, you gotta go out like a fucking Mario. Yes. I mean, Stitt would say it's playing, playing tennis, becoming the tennis game, living in the yeah. reaching flow. Yeah, g- getting to a point where you, pleasure comes from engagement, not from detachment. Yes. Um. Yeah, there's there's plenty of. I don't know what watching watching a movie that that isn't <laughs> I don't know isn't the entertainment. One tough none, blood we, sister. Yeah, that's probably pretty. Watching a movie with your friends. Yes. <laughs> What's best in life? Chilling with the homies. Chilling with the homies. Yes. Um. Yeah. Uh, I I don't think that this will this episode will have like the most just like the book, the most thrilling conclusion to our, our thoughts. Cause you know, obviously there's a lot to go back through and I, I haven't really like, I mean, gosh, we've been doing this two and a half years now. Yeah. So there's a lot from the very beginning that, <laughs> and you're getting it for the first time and you're hearing it yeah, rather yeah, than yeah, reading yes, it. Yes. So, so I will have to go, I'll read that Aaron Schwartz piece. I'll have to go back and, and read some, um, thought, third party thoughts on this almost just to like get other people's takes on like what are the important parts to pick pick out obviously mm-hmm. it's all important but you know the connections to me <laughs> i don't know is, is the um you know thing with that looney tune style like yeah wait i mean even that is not important because like, it's about it lifting at the very end and it's about lifting don't lift a weight that's heavier than you yeah that's which is what you know going through life without people is yes it's really <laughs> true yes that you got and you anyone can find those people you just maybe have to like ask for help <laughs> you get by with a little help from your friends it's crazy it's as crazy Beatle paul mccartney would say you as as the beetle the ancient beetle paul mccartney paul mcsee would say yes um i mean it's crazy that an, another thing that he kind of obliquely predicted was how how lonely people would be when all you have is like screens, screens. yeah uh and that screens t- and substances screens and substances 
Touch grass is, is obviously a yeah. um, is a you know overused internet thing, but you really, touch you tennis really grass, to. <laughs> touch, <laughs> touch, touch green felt, touch green felt, go squeeze a court. tennis ball, but with your friends, squeeze a tennis ball with your friends. I don't know. I just it's I, there's probably a world where Mar you know you could critique the the character of Mario as being portrayed as kind of like a magical disabled kid, right? <laughs> I, 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 I don't mean to be flippant about it, but like, yeah, you know, kind of. that it by being um, so unbelievably innocent, mm -hmm. you know, that's a, a dig on, you know, being in his particular physical incapability or lack of capability. But I don't know. That's, I feel like, especially, I, ju I just keep thinking about Mario as like a an idealistic way, yeah. ideal way to I move mean, the through one, the world. The one pure character mm -hmm. in the in the book but then you know ha has to be his pureness has to be balanced by grotesque physical deformity grotesque physical deformity but i think crucially everyone thinks that he's mentally um like slow or not there but and no he's just he nice. is he, he he he's not rather he's he he's just nice he's there he's just nice and he you know takes pleasure in the world as what it is yeah it takes even even fucking Bo take, even boston <laughs> he <laughs> even enjoys walking around boston I'm walking in Boston. Walking in Boston. Uh, and it takes craft seriously. Ta yeah, and he's he's creating things. He's he's rather than living in the shadow of his dad, he's just taking the things that his dad mm -hmm. taught him to do and doing something diff different and yeah, new he's with the it. Most normal, in, <laughs> in a way of the of the of the children. Yeah. He's a he's a vision that I think maybe David Foster Wallace puts forth of the idea that you can be an artist without uh being depressed yeah which is uh, you know something that i don't think david foster wallace himself attained <laughs> uh but you know that the, the vision of like being a destructive and depressed artist doesn't have to be true that's that's what i take away from it, that i'm like i <laughs> i would personally like as a as an artist i don't know Ooh, uh, uh, he's, sorry he's andre like agassi is taking his shirt off that's not agassi is it that's agassi Oh, I guess he, this is after he shaved his his dome. Head. Yeah, the okay. other one's Federer. We're watching Agassi Federer two thousand two thousand four U.S. Open. I like that they have these single serving tennis rackets where they like unsheath them from. Look at his pile of wristbands. Oh damn! Yeah, I feel like you got to have your own little like <laughs> yeah uh, temple to your your ability. It's great. The shorts got smaller. Two thousand four big shorts. Yes. Everybody. Look at the guy in the background. Any, anyway, what's next for this program? <laughs> I think next next week's episode, although it might be difficult, we'll try to get it in because Molly is Mol, just Molly is traveling next weekend. I'm going to a um bachelorette. a bachelorette party, um, but we'll figure it out. Uh, next week, I think we should go straight back to the beginning and read the first chapter again. Yeah, I think we'll read the, the first chapter. After that, we will have had time to prepare final thoughts and do a discourse on the whole book. And maybe if you if people want to send questions, comments, uh, and polite, we'll read them. polite points to po point out. Yeah, uh, we'll take it. it. Look, if it takes me longer than uh, than a minute and a half to read your email, I'm not reading it. Oh. We just read a book that took two and a half years to I read. Look, I I, do I will read I, it. I do call in questions for for Chavo. You have to give you have to set a limit, or else people will will take a mile. You're right. You're right. Uh, <laughs> you know, so whatever, five hundred words or less. I I ain't reading that. <laughs> yes, I'm happy for you, or sorry that happened. Um, we'll we'll take questions. And we'll do do final thoughts. We'll we'll read some essays. We'll mm -hmm. look at um some stuff. 
we'll we'll try to tie the whole thing together. Uh, and then maybe a few weeks off while we plan what our next thing is. Also, we have some big life changes coming up in the immediate future for us that might take some disruptions. Yeah, but we'll be we'll we'll be around. We'll we'll figure it out. Yeah, we'll figure it out, and mm-hmm. we'll we'll finally decide. Oh, that's another thing you can email about is like a final vote for what we we do next. Yes. Uh, again, the 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 major contenders I think are a pinchin. Pinchin. Gra- gravity's rainbow. A pinch of pinchin. A pinch of pinchin. Gra- like a gravity's rainbow. Uh, another difficult man of the '90s book, i.e., like American Psycho or Fight Club or yeah, something. Yeah, I was thinking like red red flag male literature of the 1990s. Uh, which I think could also be fun. Obviously, there's nothing as totemic no as Infinite Jest. Uh, but there's a lot of other fun stuff in there that, I, and I think that there's a lot that we could get into with a, a Polanyik or a um, mm-hmm. uh, a Bretty Sinellis. Yeah, uh, and it would maybe give an excuse to dip into the Bretty Sinellis podcast. Totally, I'm I'm a, I'm a un, unequivocal fan of um, yeah, Bretty Sinellis. I think we're both uh, ready to embrace Ellis thought. <laughs> we should <laughs> also. Do, we- I could we could read the copy of. American Psycho that I still never read that my cousin gave me and was like, <laughs> and I think in the best natured way, but hilariously was like, I read this, uh, I read this book this year and it made me, it reminded me of you. <laughs> and I was like, thanks. <laughs> I think more in like the dark and twisted sense of humor rather than like, I read this book about an American Psycho and I thought of you. I thought of you, another American Psycho that I know. Maybe just the the music, um, the music interludes, musical interludes about like yes. Huey Lewis and the and the newest. Um, Pynchon, red flag authors of the nineties. Moby Dick has always been one on the list. I don't think I could give that the sauce that it deserves. Uh, but I'm willing to willing to be proven wrong. Dune was always my first uh, one, but I think that Molly has engaged too much with Dune the movie. It's given away too much. I mean, I do, I do want to read it, but yeah, I don't know if it's the best read aloud book. Yeah, it's a lot of technical descriptions, which honestly, this book is. Uh, and then also something short, short, quick, and fun. It may be just like a quick, fun one that we both like. Like Neuromancer was brought up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know. Sound off in comments or a Colleen Hoover book. <laughs> <laughs> What are those books alike or like or about? Apparently, uh, someone sent me a tweet about them that some someone read one experimentally to be like, "What's the fuss about?" Because she's like, she's the best selling like, like women's eight author, of the ten top selling books in America right yeah. now are this woman, and it's like kind of like toxic romance style like narratives, like it just I don't know. It sounds oh, I, I, like I shouldn't love this. I shouldn't be yeah, so like attracted to this man. Is this toxic, man. but I can't stop myself. And it's like all right, I guess. Uh yeah, we we could read a Colleen Hoover Being or one of those tiny tiny beautiful things. This is the beautiful thing this, where uh, yeah. I where I do yeah. things. Um, ways in which the tiny things are beautiful. All all the tiny wives. <laughs> all the tiny wives. Wonder or one of those books like the husband's wife. The husband's wife. The wife's husband. The husband's wife's boyfriend. The husband's wife's boyfriend. Um, we could find something like that and just go full yeah. full pivot. Or Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. <laughs> that would be funny. That would be funny. Uh, we well, I feel Harry like Potter we, yeah, 
we 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 then would have to do it entirely in the in the Brad Neely voice. Here under a under <laughs> a sta- lonely staircase in Pivot Drive, there lived a boy, <laughs> a, a, a special boy, a phenomenal boy, a boy <laughs> the likes of whom regional England had not seen for years. <laughs> His parents were awful. His parents were dead. dead. And his substitute <laughs> parents were even worse. Wait, who's who who did he live with? Who were those people? That aunt, was his uncle? aunt? So yeah. he had a so non-magical a, aunt and uncle? Yeah, I think that the thing is is that if you if you read the books straightforward, his mother and father are depicted as well, I guess his mother is like the most perfect woman who ever was. Yeah, a beautiful it's spy. Re- yeah. It's revealed in the last book that his dad was kind of a prick and a bully. <laughs> but his his mother was like the most beautiful perfect woman of all time and then had an awful sister who married a, a gross fat ham man a gro- yeah a, gro- a gross fat ham man but who also had a, who had the, the most d- disgusting pudgy boy of all time he the the dursleys lived in S- surrey surrey there, I just want to know what what Joanne what? Kathleen was thinking in terms of like regional stereotypes. Yeah, when what's she, the vibe of Surrey? Because like, do we have any listeners in Surrey? Th- <laughs> I just can't, I can't believe we're we're rounding out this last last episode of or I last. Think I think it's appropriate. <laughs> Potter, it's, I, it a book like, series that I'm sure David Foster Wallace disrespected. Do you think he ever read a Harry Potter book Not, just to see what it was about? I don't know. I don't know because that phenomenon was definitely kicking off in his lifetime. Oh, it it had happened. It was it was huge. Yeah. I bet he read one just to be like, what is this? What the fuck is happening? <laughs> what is this? And I bet... Um, you know what's... Can I say something fucked up? Mm-hmm. I finished the, that whole... Almost... You know, I haven't... Did I read the last book? I think I eventually read the last book, maybe. And I didn't realize it took place in, like, the past. Yes. Like, the 90s? It's, that's one of the weirdest parts about that book is that it is very subtly in the past, but you... But nothing about being in the past really affects it. It's just, like, through a few context clues, you figure out that Harry's was born in, like, 1979 or something. It's, cra- it's and it crazy. All takes place in I just remember 90s. finding that out and I'd be like, why? 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 I think why? it is because it's set when she like had the idea and started writing them. Yeah. And then just like so, throws it in time. Yeah. So, so yes, all the references are like pegged to Harry going to Hogwarts at age 11 in like 1992. Mm-hmm. Even though the first one's not published until like 1997, and they yeah. didn't really and kick then it, off in America until like 2001, right? I don't know. I read all those books, of course. I mean, hit a, I hit at the right age where I was like, what? Harry Potter one came out in America when I was like 12 or 13 or something. I was young. I think I I think it was like third grade, but I read. I and read then once them. you're like in it, you're like, I mean, I want to see where it ends. Harry Potter. Harry Potter. The- the boy who lived. The boy who lived. The boy. Oh, the boy. <laughs> anyway, so that's Infinite Jest. Anyway, that's it. I hope you had a good Jess. time uh, following along with us. Obviously, again, this isn't the most uh, mind-shattering commentary to conclude this, but you know, I, I feel like we're giving eye-shattering content. But I feel like we're giving roughly the same as we've given on commentary for every part of this book. Oh yeah. Um. Which, taken as a whole, I think is is a is a nice jer- journey through. I'm trying to flip my eyelid inside out. Uh, <laughs> journey through the the world of infinite jest. The the eye, the the sewn open eye. The sewn open eye. You, you can't look away from the entertainment. It, you cannot. 
Uh, yeah, everyone watch watch out for your screen time, I guess. Yeah, check your screen time. Read Try a fucking get... book for a change. Just kidding. If you're listening to this, you already did. Yeah, you are reading a book. If you listen to this, you can say that you read Infinite Jest with uh, your ears. Yes. And you can go forth and be toxic. I've gotten a lot of messages from, most of the messages from I've gotten from people are from people who have already read the book yeah. and, and have been very nice saying that this is a nice way of going mm-hmm. back through it without yeah. actually having to read it again. Well, if you're if you're reading it for I'm the curious first time. If, if this has been anybody's first time through <laughs> the book. A very silly way to to uh absorb this 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 entertainment. Congrats. Hi f- I'm high five. That was a high five. We did it. Certainly it. is an accomplishment. Good job, Chris. I know I gave you a trophy already that says best listener of <laughs> Infinite Jest. That's a tennis thing. Yeah. Um but you deserve Thank you. I I had a good time. <laughs> and how about this? Uh, figuring out how much time do we have? What do you mean? We're already at one oh seven. I I just wanted to tie. I guess like tying a few things. Uh, tie it, man. This is. I, I think we can indulge. Yeah. Answering the first question uh, that we started out to answer with this book. Is Infinite Jest good for boys or not? Nah? <laughs> is it? Uh, what do you think? Uh, As a boy? Yes. I I mean, I don't know. The The cultural mishigas around this book is so fucking funny. And I really do think in the end, it, the the port- pretentiousness, the weight that is put on it culturally is simply because it is long. It's not that, like, the reading of it, the text is not that complexly and when it is complexly written it's kind of complexly written as a joke as a joke but also david foster wallace has such an unbelievably solid grasp on grammar and usage that it it takes you by the hand and carries you along it follows the rules so well that even a very complex sentence makes sense to me i mean he he is he do be showing off sometimes i love it though (laughs) because i at the end of the day i will i come out as i'm a grammar and usage dork nerd I love I love grammar. I'm a, a descriptivist, not a prescriptivist. Uh, I that shit gets me off, man. Uh, the long words for things, you know. Yeah. I, I learned some new words, I guess. Did I learn how to pronounce them? No. Uh, pronunciation <laughs> is fast. As long as you can understand what you're what we're saying, you mm-hmm. pronounce it fine. Uh, but I do uh, anyway. I do think because yes, the actual read itself, it's obviously very good, but it is like surprisingly pulpy to me you yeah. know it's like yeah, yeah. gross and action-packed and titillating and yeah uh you know Lur- lurid, lurid yeah and gr- yeah scatological but but in conversation with pop culture it's not highfalutin at all no no it's um, people sh- shitting and farting and shitting and farting and watching tv and, and <laughs> professional sports and yeah. like doing drugs go- going to and school and driving around boston hanging it's out like, in the locker room yeah p- picking your zits i don't know yeah it's not it, it it's not like a a, a high a, a like high level uh uh theater of the mind or like fancy people doing like obscure fancy things do you feel like it represents matt like does the experience of masculinity like does does that get portrayed in this would you say i mean i guess so being Um, a guy sports and drugs sports (laughs) and drugs and and jacking off is there that much jacking off in this only references to it i don't think anyone's actually ever whacking it um 
Yeah, so it is very funny that in the end that you know one of the reasons that we started this was to kind of drill down to the the uh, as we started the cultural chaos rune as uh, of infinite jest, and yeah, I think in the end my my appraisal is is that it re- it people are stupid enough that it really is only means something to people because it looks long, yes, and people people are like, oh, long book, mm-hmm. who care. Yeah. Who could possibly be pretentious enough to read long book? Yeah. When and actually that's, I think reading a long book is cool. It is. And yeah, it is they, a commitment, they, yeah, but, but get, it is like, but that's like the only reason that people yeah, get upset and they get, about it. They get annoyed, you know, when it, yeah. like someone gets snapped and bring it on the subway and everyone's yeah. like, ooh, her, her. it's like, shut the fuck up. Yes. You go read a book. Um, Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, it's, it's not a pretentious book. And it is, it is very long, but if the only, if the only thing that you can really bring against it is that it's long, then I'm sorry, you need, the the court rules against you. You need to prove more that this is some kind of symbol of like, I don't know, male manipulator literature or whatever. I mean, I know, like apparently like some of the- It's mostly about guys struggling with like addiction issues. Yeah. It's, I mean- You should be, women should be grateful if this is the one book that men have read. I would agree. Well, it's, I mean, from my end- I, I feel like I've maybe said this on the podcast before is that I'm almost more interested in reading books about men and masculinity because I'm a woman. I know what's going on under the hood there. Mm-hmm. It's uh, if I wanted to explore what it's like being a woman, I would just simply go about every day living my life. <laughs> what's going on? In fucking book dude's about head? Men do need books about like the complications of, of leading, of leading male lives. Because if, if not for that kind of literature, we would not simply not think about it at all. Yeah. I would, I want to, I need, I need to understand. Women generate great literature just by existing. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> well, a woman's life is like a novel. Is a work of literature. Well, you know, it's uh, funny. I just read a, a man's life is like a uh, a Beetle Bailey cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just read a a, a novel um, uh, by a woman, uh, Animal by Lisa Tadeo Tadio. I don't know if I'm pronouncing her name correctly. And it's you know, it's about a woman and sex and being horny and dark and murderous and men mistreat you and money and all this stuff. And it just like I was reading it. God, I'm like, money. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, totally. Like, I know. I, I know. You don't have to tell me. You don't you don't have to tell me what women are. I know. The next question is who will write the big epic non binary novel? Uh Somebody's, kidding. somebody's working on it. I'm not kidding. It. There have been new new um, innovations in gender since 1996. Uh, the, it's a thousand page tome on the on the uh, on tennis addiction and the experience of being non-binary, and the title is at least three. Well, Jeffrey <laughs> Jeffrey Eugenides wrote wrote Middlesex. Yes, that's true. I remember that being. Big. But is it that's about um, an intersex person, right? Not non-binary. Well, I think, Different but things. as the title would say, they are Middlesex. Yeah. Well, Jeffrey Eugenides, I don't believe is intersex, so we need to do better. Okay. Uh, if you're out there and well, your ge- your gender goes kind of crazy with it, uh, <laughs> write a fucking book. Speaking of non-binary middlesex, I did also want to bring up that I was trying to think of other final cultural chaos ruins, which was the thing that we were doing at the beginning, and and I really it really came to me that the number one chaos rune and I, I i don't mean this to be flippant but i think people who have been listening from day one will understand what i'm saying mm-hmm. uh of our time of the era that we read this the number one of those things has to be uh transgenderism mm-hmm. which is it's obviously more, more important than like the 
pop culture stuff that we've been talking about, but mm-hmm. I mean it purely in the way that there is a certain strain of thinking about transgenderism that seems to be this this inescapable black hole mm-hmm. of the people who become obsessed thinking about this that just drains them into an like a uh inescapable uh like mind insanity mechanism where the only thing that they can relate to is this insane and unfounded fear of transgenderism and thinking about like the jk rowlings of the of the world that we Mm -hmm. just referenced that guy fucking graham linneman linehan linehan who um even people who you know a lot of the people who end up on the um certain sides of the 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 alt-right or whatever we're Mm -hmm. calling it these days where where you know uh certain parents that people dredge up or like as soon as they start thinking about it it's like the only thing they can think of for some reason yeah um and it 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 just is very bizarre in a certain way like how much that phobia grips people and like an addiction really you know Oh, I don't. I, Where it becomes their entire worldview. Yeah. Well, I don't. I don't even think it's bizarre. I think. I think I've said this to you before. I think the very people who get obsessed with the idea of like you know someone's the genital someone was born with not matching the way they want to present themselves or fe- the way they feel and live their lives is that it freaks people out that you can do that. Yes. That you can change. You can change the way you present yourself you can change your your literal body and that's fucking allowed and that's okay yes and it makes me i think the very people who get obsessed with that um it, it's because maybe secretly deep down there they is feel trapped there is something they they are gender fucked in their mind yes um not to excuse that behavior obviously it's fucking it's awful but it's the cause i feel like always coming from inside the yes, house yes yes and it's it the is. people it, who it, don't get obsessed with it but you know it, who, it, it, who don't think it's uh, weird or bad that maybe are just like, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't have this problem with it because I don't have, yes. I don't have this feeling in my, in within myself. Yeah. It is just l- like for the people who get sucked into it, it is like a switch is flipped when they start yeah. thinking, be- becoming tra- transphobic curious. I mean, and then they can never escape that deep panic and hatred mm-hmm. through, it, throughout well, br- them. That becomes their entire personality. Let's bring it back Even to more the than most trans people. Yeah. I know, Caitlyn fucking Jenner. Um, but yeah, to bring it back to the book, there is there's a the gender is in this book throughout. Yeah. Um, there, are, you know, there is there are multiple characters who are transvestals, as <laughs> transvestals. Don Gately puts it, yes. and it's definitely a '90s conception of like, you know, I'm sorry when I in the '90s when I was a kid, mm-hmm. uh, I thought cro- like cross dressing was was like being trans like yeah i feel like we, there was much more of an obsession with transvestite trans well i i also kind of think in retrospect that the because there were like prominent transvestitism like wasn't uh like uh what eddie izzard eddie izzard yeah which um, isn't isn't eddie izzard now trans yes well yeah. here's what i kind of suspect is that there was like some trans like you would say transvestite in uh-huh. the 90s and I think that that was soft walking. Yeah, yeah. Transgender. Yeah. So you know, I don't know if that's this, like a, a revelation, but this is yeah. more just me like thinking about what yeah. I understood of that that phenomenon in in as a as a young man. Yeah, as a I don't young know. Boy. 
Anyway, to bring it back to the book, it's yes. uh, it's in it's in the book and it's treated I I would say maybe not it's I don't I just don't think it's the most sophisticated way of of thinking about it, but I don't know if you can necessarily expect David Foster Wallace to have the most sophisticated way of thinking about it, but there's something I know I'm I'm thinking of um poor Tony, poor Tony. and how he, you know, on one hand he's this cartoonish junkie in a feather boa with yeah. uh, who's not passing um, and no one thinks that he is. Uh, I was a little earlier going to bring up poor Tony's, poor Tony's seizure is one of the uh, sequences that, that really st- keeps sticks with me the most. Right. Well, I, I, that's what I wanted to bring up is that you, on one hand you have this kind of cruel por- portrayal of him, uh, you know, uh, just a total uh, junkie mess uh, who ha- doesn't have a handle on his gender at yeah. all. But then he, yeah, he basically goes into like the quantum realm uh, when he has this seizure and like, I don't know, vi- revisits like his past as like a Jew- Jewish person. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know, there's something in there about Yiddish. Uh, there, for every cartoonish portrayal of gender, there is some underside that David Foster Wallace is hinting at. Yeah. Uh, that I think suggests that there's something more going on that I wish he had uh, maybe stuck around and thought about it some more because maybe he had some. Yeah, maybe thoughts. you should have stuck around and thought about it. Oh, <laughs> pish posh. You know what I mean. Yeah, I know. I know. And tennis is obviously, it's gender segregated. Talk about gender in sports is yeah. people are fucking obsessed with that too. Yes. And the girls in ETA are portrayed as being like masculine. Uh, you know, lesbians, all that stuff. I don't know. Yes, we're still thinking about it. Yeah, apparently, we're still thinking about it. And I wish it's everyone some was just inc- insane. Everyone would just calm down. All right, we will. <laughs> we should sign off because we have to get on a train in yeah, about two and a half hours, and I got to like pack and download a, a video game for my computer and sure. stuff like that. Yeah, uh, and we got to get bagels for Molly's family. <laughs> uh, so we got some stuff to do. We got shit to do. This is the end of for Infinite now. Jest. Yeah, the book, but it is not the end of our discussion of Infinite Jest. And it is not the end of this podcast. So uh, we, will, we will return soon uh, with more. But until then, thank you so much for listening. And yes. we hope you got something out of this. And um, until next time, uh, uh, stay infinite, stay, stay jesty. I was trying to think of a tennis thing. Serve? Serve. Be always be serving. Always be serving. Hang in. Oh, I would say hang in there. Until next time, hang, hang in there. Hang in there. <laughs> uh, avo- avoid the the man with the hook. In the avoid the man with pants. the hook. Um, avoid the man with the hat. Yes. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Bye.